It's the Redirect Podcast. Search industry research, discussion, and analysis from the Black Truck Media and Marketing Headquarters. And now, redirecting you to the Black Truck Team. Welcome to another edition of the Redirect Podcast. This is episode 13, and it's August 18, 2017. I'm Jason Dodgen, and welcome once again by Patrick and Ashley from the Black Truck Team. Uh, I am going to go ahead and take the lead today. We're actually recording in the morning, and uh, so I guess this morning I will take the lead. Uh, I have something to talk about that is very much search-related, but not you won't read it uh, in any of the news uh, industry news publications. Um, it's related to Google My Business, so it's related to local SEO, and it's something that frustrates me, and quite frankly, it, it really irritates me, is we and other small businesses have been receiving a number of spam calls uh. lately centered around Google My Business. And what will happen is it's this series of robocalls that goes out, and they're local numbers. So for us here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, it's a 616 number that dials in. And it's interesting. It's fascinating. I'll get them both on our business line, and I'll also get them on my cell phone. Uh, and and it's basically the robocall is that your Google listing is um, it's not verified. It's not claimed. Mm. And you're to call the number back. So I did this last night on my on my travels. Um, I called the number back, and gentleman answered the phone. His name is Matthew. So maybe Matthew, you're listening. And uh, they they clearly are doing things that are predatory for small businesses mm. to the point that I reported them to um, the Google My Business team. Hmm. Um, there's a whole form and process to go through and reporting these individuals. And and what they're doing is is they don't they don't disclose the name of a company at all. They just say, well, I'm a, I'm a Google My Business uh, certified you know, agent or person. And, and they went through this whole process of trying to tell me that Black Trick Media was not claimed listing wow. in Google. And I said, no, I, I know quite well that it is. And I, I did maybe go on a little bit of a rant on them. You? You know, for, <laughs> I've been doing this for 15 years and there's no way you're going to tell me that we don't have our local citation sources secure. I was like, I know for a fact, I said, this is a service we offer. You know, we work in local SEO. He went round and round with me and tried to tell me that that it wasn't. Wow. And, you know, when I started getting after him about this being potential predatory and stuff and that Google doesn't call, he the, I got disconnected. <laughs> and so I think it's just, it's really good reminder mm-hmm. that Google will not call you. So much like the IRS, like the IRS will not call you for back taxes and audit issues, right? They're going to send you official notices. Google, quite frankly, could care less if you claimed your business, right? They're, they're to the point where they're not going to call you and reach out to you and say, "Oh, hey, Pat, you didn't you your your business isn't verified, and we can help you with that." No, that's a bunch of BS. Yeah. And, and you know, it's the same thing with Yellow Pages, right? And local as a local citation source, you don't have to pay them for a verified listing in Yellow Pages. They're going to send you all kinds of information in the mail, but if you read the fine print, 
that you don't have to pay them for any of that. That's a free listing and free service that they offer. You just have to go through the process of filling it out. So I, I just wanted to, I kind of wanted to lead in with that because that's just one of those shady things that that just irritates yeah. me. It furthers, it further defines what we do as far as an honest SEO company, mm-hmm. but that stuff just really irritates me. And, and I just, I feel bad for any small business that signs on for something like that. That type of predatory stuff has been around in every industry for a long time. And True. it's, it's, um, it's a problem right now with <clears throat> spam calls and cell phone numbers are becoming more readily available to the uh, telemarketers. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a previous life, I was a personal banker at a, a big regional bank. And um, one of my jobs was to be the front line for when customers had financial questions. And you, I cannot tell you how frequently people would bring those spam phishing letters, the P-H-I-S-H uh, oh, yeah. email yeah. letters that they get in the mail from supposed banks or things saying, is this legit? Should I do this? And mm-hmm. I would help point out all the flaws and why it's it's not real. And uh, all it takes is for them to, if, if one person bites in 10,000 phone calls or 10,000 letters, it pays off for them. Yeah. Yeah, so there's no sure. reason them to stop. And the way that it's tough to track. Yeah. As far as the criminality of it goes, yeah, and it's all—it's unfortunate. It's—it's it's interesting. It, part of it is fascinating that they're going, you know, they're—they're they're going that route mm-hmm. because it's really easy to do, right? It's public. It's public data, um, but it's unfortunate from the fact that I'm sure there are, you know, a number of small businesses or even even mid mid-sized businesses yeah. too that are like, oh, really? Oh, wow, I didn't know. And mm-hmm. hand them over their credit card number and who knows what's happening. Someone's going to bite. That's mm-hmm. just it. You know, you're diligent. You did your job. And yeah. You know, this you- person was clearly not educated on the process whatsoever, not educated on on listings and citation sources. Just working towards all. that credit card number. Mm-hmm. That's all he was yep. trying to get out of yep. you. It's just absolutely, it's just asinine to me yeah. that, that that happens. But well, that reminds me, I just read recently there was there was um, a company in the UK that was shut down that was impersonating Google. Um, so it's I, probably a different, you know, different situation because they were impersonating Google, whereas it sounds wow. like these people that, you know, the call that you got, they were basically acting on behalf of Google. Yeah, presenting. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't know if it was specific to Google My Business or if it was like an analytics thing, but there was a company in the UK that was shut down. Um, for similar practices, so hopefully this good. They should be shut down. Cracked down. It's horrible. Yeah. Actually, that could segue into um, my next article, sure. unless you wanted to jump nope, in. No, that's fine. Uh, I Google Shopping. Um, oh yeah. Article I read about uh, how important is Google Shopping for retailers. So Google Shopping, shopping ads. Uh, yeah. Is that, yeah. yeah. Um, <coughs> the uh, what did they call them? Uh, the the PLA, Product Listing Ads. Yeah. Um, and it talked about the $2.7 billion fine that Google got hit with from mm. the EU. Mm-hmm. Um, the European Commission about uh, the monopoly they had on Google Shopping ads and how it was hurting the little guy and only the big guys that had money were being able to be seen. Um, so Europe obviously has different rules on spamming and mm-hmm. um the misrepresenting and mm-hmm. um, they're playing the game differently than the U.S. is in the marketing world. And the U.S. has always been a little bit different in what they allow for marketing. A and little more like fast that. and loose here yeah. versus, yeah. versus there. Yeah. Television um, pharmaceutical ads. Hello. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, so the article is really interesting and it kind of made a good point that 
this is the first time that a major ruling like this against Google will affect other businesses. Um, it showed that average retailers that have online stores in 2015, 5% of sales, their sales were coming from product listing ads. Mm. And as of 2017, 14% are coming from product <clears throat> listing ads. And so as time's moving forward, it's becoming a more and more important avenue, uh, Google Shopping, or at least starting from there. Um, and then if that gets truncated, if there's a way that's going to get shot down, then it's going to hurt all those people that are relying on it as a business. Mm. Google is the, is the tool, and the end user is, is yeah. the business, and that business is where it's going to end up And the hurt. control of the PLAs is not, I mean, as you've experienced in managing, managing a few, um, you're, I mean, you can definitely do advanced, some advanced things with the, with the shopping ads for sure. Um, but then there's also certain things that are somewhat out of your control as mm-hmm. well. And, and it all is related to what categories and that, right. that your feeds are categories and bids. If I, you know, if my budget is X and somebody else uh, has X times two, mm-hmm. they're going to win. Yeah. You know, I mean, I can have the best stuff in the world, but if, if, you know, they're willing to pay a boatload more and yep. more than likely if they're willing to pay a boatload more, you might have a little bit better landing pages, things like that, and just more organized. It's going to be difficult for the little player. And it's I, I not that I disagree with what the ruling is. I think it definitely needs to be fought by Google. You know, don't give up that $2.7 billion. But, mm-hmm. um, that's the game. It's the hustle. You know, and it's... It, not the the little guy isn't always going to get the same stuff the big guy is going to get. It's not, but I think to your point, depending on who you're target, you, you touch on it just a little bit. Like it's, it's bids and categories. There's a lot more that goes into that, right? right. But because you should optimize the feed, there's a number of things that stack up and go mm-hmm. along with the shopping campaign. But at the same time, that's it's not to say that a that a small guy can't compete in that. You totally can. Right. You totally Agreed. can win. Agreed. I mean. If you don't have the overhead that somebody else does, maybe your price is a little bit more attractive or maybe you mm-hmm. have free shipping and somebody else doesn't mm-hmm. or um, maybe there's a, a particular model of a product that you offer versus somebody else. I mean, there's ways to stand out in that crowd. Right. Um, and I think it's going to grow. It's going to yeah. continue to grow. They, I mean, that's been proven in discussions in the industry and, right. and in, e- in the whole e-commerce world. And, and you know, another thing too that something <clears throat> you always say is uh, I can get you to the lot, but... I'm not going to get them to buy the car. Right. You know, it's it. We, all we're doing is, is setting up the the front lot of the dealership, and it's up to you to close the sale. Yep, and that so, next level goes at, you right. know, page level details and right. you know, what do we do, what do we or do after Even that. the customer experience once they're on your site. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's so many caveats on that, and it's um, it's not just about the bid. I'll, I'll retract that statement, portion of my statement, but it's... Um, there's so many moving parts in that, and I just don't agree with. I mean, I I didn't read the whole ruling, and I didn't read you know the conversations and the the transcripts from the court case. Well, but, but the fact that they won, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. the fact that Google lost that, yeah, and that 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 they won, is kind of a big deal. Yeah, to me, it just sounds um, like <clears throat> what you're supposed to do, you know, as as marketers, as selling ad space, mm-hmm. you know, that's what that's what we're doing. I'm trying to get the little guy to show up and become the big guy. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how business grows. I don't know. I'm excited to see what shopping ads do in the future and how it takes place. Um, a big difference between uh, Google and Amazon, it's saying so many people are starting their searches 
uh, on the non, like more like shopping on the shelves kind of a thing, uh, it's starting in Amazon. So like if you go to, like for example, you go to the grocery store, your mm-hmm. supermarket, and you don't have a shopping list, um, you're better suited, I think, to do that type of shopping on Amazon. You just do a product, like you put like paper towels on Amazon, or if you put mm-hmm. paper towels in like a, a Google search or a Google shopping, it might not get you the right kind of results that you're looking for. So it, it, it's, it's hmm. two different types of search. So then the power, the power in that uh, is going to be the follow-up, is going to be the remarketing and retargeting efforts right. too, right? If you don't convert, you don't buy. So you started your search in Amazon or you started your search on, on my site and you didn't take action, the power is going to be um, making sure that you're, you're following that user and, and trying to close the deal. Mm-hmm. And so they'll get into dynamic PLAs where it's pulling in that product you looked at um, or products similar to, to to try and bring you back to buy more. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's definitely some people that are doing things next level at these large e-commerce mm-hmm. you know, retailers where those people right. are in-house for Amazon or Walmart or Jet, a.k.a. Walmart, um, those types of those types of right. players. You know. Interesting. Mm-hmm. All well, right, Ashley. Yeah. They, Change the tone. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, at the end of last week's podcast, I mentioned that I had an article about optimizing PDFs yes. for SEO. And um, I found, I brought that up because there was an article on published on Search Engine Journal about this, um, 10 tips to make your PDFs SEO friendly. And maybe instead of actually going through those tips, which I think are helpful, maybe a better discussion for us to have would be, you know, instances when you would want a PDF to rank versus mm. having a page on the same content. I'm so, curious. I didn't read that article, mm, but what were the what what was the big standout of that? Why? Um, you mean as as far as the the tips for optimization, or like why you would optimize a PDF? Why the PDF? Why you would want the PDF to stand out more than a page? Well, that wasn't that wasn't even really. Ah, yeah. Uh. Uh, so I mean, it did mention. Um, the resource, if it's a resource, you know, something like a survey or a report, um, maybe um, an in-depth guide or an ebook, something that you want your visitors to mm. download and have mm. as a reference. Um, so I was wondering, kind of, what yeah. you guys had to say about so, about that. Where you might want to, where it would be helpful for a PDF to show up. It's interesting versus. Versus a page. But then also, you know, the article does make the point of if you do have a PDF and, and you, you know, obviously if you have it on your website, you want it to be accessible and used by visitors. And so it's helpful to um, link to that PDF internally on your website so it's not just an, an orphan file. Um, and then... Another good takeaway, I, I thought, was have links to your website in that PDF mm-hmm. so that when people, you know, download it, mm-hmm. they'll, you know, click those links and then that'll that'll help those pages that you've linked to, you know, have maybe more authority over time if they're being referenced. Mm. And if other websites end up linking to your PDF, then those, those links to your site are baked into the PDF. So anyway, that was kind hmm. of a tangent, but I, I was just curious right. about... So my first few thoughts on that is um, 
as a downloadable file, it, that's almost a conversion point usually, and so you'd want someone to go to the, the preceding page, like the landing page, and have the download be the conversion. Mm. You don't want, my thought is that you wouldn't want the download to be indexing. Uh, you know, it's, it's I'm not saying that's um, uh, hidden files or um, mm. access, ga gateway pages, sorry. Um, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't see that as being advantageous. I'd want my, my user to come to the landing page and then download as the converting point and not necessarily have that download be optimized because that would skip the whole previous page. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think if it's valuable, if it's valuable information, valuable content, you know, why have it wrapped into a PDF? However, there are a number of, of companies out there that maybe probably the more technical companies, so the more technical, the more complex, uh, or they have studies, mm -hmm. um, whether it's a case study or whether it's like just this massive conversion resources type, type documentation, um, I can see those as having a lot of PDFs and, and the media and file management alone at the back end of that site's <laughs> probably a nightmare, but... I can see that that being the case um, because it's for them it's a it's a management uh, bandwidth issue of hey Ashley can you please add this to our resources section when in reality we would love to have that as like pure HTML web content um, with maybe an option to download the PDF right it's no different than a case study like uh, maybe maybe Ashley wants to read the the case study online because you're an online reader, but Patrick doesn't and he's in the C-suite and he's headed to a meeting. He's like, hey, I'm going to download this. I'm going to print it and I'm yeah. going to bring it to my meeting or I'm going to be able to share it with people, that type of thing. So you're, you're serving both audience types there. Um, I, I, I have no problem going on the record and saying I would, I would not focus on optimizing the PDF, I would instead turn that around and say, why are we not producing this content on the site itself? Mm. Like, why are we not physically right. producing this content at some level on the site? Um, to your point about internal links or, or AKA internal links within the document, I would want to be tracking those mm -hmm. with some sort of UTM tracking, sure. some sort of campaign or event tracking, because I would want to see if this is a popular download what portions of the site are people coming to from the download? Yeah. That's going to provide you additional insights about the type of user that's downloading that, reading that content, where they're going from there, which then makes you think down the road of, oh, hey, maybe we need to bolster up these parts of our site because this is clearly important to that type of user. But yeah. hmm. um, I don't know. I am not a fan of optimizing PDFs. I think time is better spent elsewhere. However... PDFs do, you know, there's a number of things PDFs a, rank. Yeah. I, I get frustrated as a user when in a search result, that's my best thing is I have to download the PDF. That just yeah. irritates Agreed. me because I'm probably on my phone. I don't want to download the file. Like, it, I don't want it if I'm on a slow connection, something like that. And I think we're going to see that filter out, right? Mm -hmm. If you have a slow connection and you're making me download something... Like, I think that's going to go away, especially as progressive web apps become more popular and things like that. I just think that you're going to see a bit of a shift there. But depending on, again, depending on the company, yeah, I guess it still makes sense to have a lot of PDFs on your site. But Interesting. Yeah. Do you read a lot of PDFs? Not 
Not really. No. It depends. If mm-hmm. I think the content is valuable, if I, you know, if it's something that I, yeah. you know, that I really think would be helpful. But yeah, I... I mean, as a fellow car enthusiast, I will admit to having a pretty serious Google Drive that's full of PDF documents that I want to reference as resources later. Sure. So again, going back to the original thing of if you have content that is that is being indexed and I can download that or I can download the full um, thing, (laughs) then I might download that and save it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I think that would be, that would be helpful. Right. I I see too many times that those PDFs are too big. They're too long and they just, we're going to clog everything up. It's, I, um, looking at a park that's in development by my house, Mm -hmm. I found a study for it online. Um, a 20-year plan, and it was 200 pages long, yeah. the PDF. Yeah. I'm not going to download that. I'm going to view it live on the site, but I'm not going to download that for offline reading later on. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it, it was... The, the, I think that's a lot of the flaws in it, too. It's, mm-hmm. it's, too, it's too big. And like Jason, you said, as a reference material, you know, it's, if I can preview it... The, the PDF and it's just not something that's going to benefit me. I'm not going to waste my time with so it. So it's interesting. It's interesting how this conversation has evolved from do we optimize PDFs or here's tactics for optimizing <laughs> PDFs into a usability discussion again, mm-hmm. right? And we talked about it in the last episode too. We talked about how we all consume content. Um, I was just I had a real positive experience with um, uh, the like the Harvard Business Journal, Harvard Business Review, HBR. And um, that if you create an account, you can save articles to read later mm. and you can organize them. And so if it's a leadership article, you can drop it in a leadership folder. It's, it's really very intuitive. They've got when you're scrolling down, they've got a progress bar that comes across uh, horizontally. So instead I've of just, that. you know, that's, yeah, that's yeah. really slick yeah. from a user perspective. They don't really call it out, but it's interesting how we went from talking about <laughs> how do I optimize a document to... Uh, me sitting here going, I don't want to download the thing. Patrick's saying most of the times they're too damn long. So it's interesting how you go that route. I don't know. Maybe the takeaway is think about that. Like if it's too big and we have to shove it into a PDF, maybe we need to start having continued discussions like internally with your teams to say, what value is it in producing this type of content? If it's like an annual report or annual review for like a nonprofit, clearly like... You're producing that content anyways, um, you know, but man, put the, um, put the synopsis in, you yeah. know, at least somewhere on the site where it's, it's, uh, easily indexed and you're going to have a better, you're going to have a better web experience. So yep. uh, that's good, my take on good, it. Good talk. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, let's roll into another uh, topic here. And, and this one's been of much discussion. Now it's being published, uh, Jennifer Slag at the, the SEM Post published an article early this morning about it, but we've gotten a couple notifications for different web properties on it that um, uh, Google Search Console, uh, so Webmaster Tools, is starting to send security warnings for HTTP sites, not HTTPS mm-hmm. sites. So they're sending out notices that's, that say, you know, hey, reminder, um, they're... Uh, the, the date is somewhere in, I think, October 2017. Uh, this is for Chrome, mind you, for Chrome, that, you, that they're going to start flagging sites um, as not secure. And so it, 
more so up front, it's for sites that have any forms. So comment forms, hmm. um, uh, certainly lead gen type forms, gated content, that type of thing. Those are going to be shown up as not secure in a Chrome browser. Um, and then um, if you are viewing things, all pages in, in incognito mode, so as us as, as probably SEOs and web web professionals, we, we might use incognito mode for certain things. So um, certainly those will 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 render warnings but um that's going to come out what they're saying october 2017's version 63 of chrome hmm. um and some people i i could say i could understand at the corporate level might say oh well we don't you know all of our users use internet explorer wrong chrome's the number one browser being used followed by i went and did my homework so chrome safari Internet Explorer, Firefox. So Firefox has been bumped to like number four. Wow. But Chrome is almost, I want to say uh, if the number is 58, 59%, so let's just round up and call it 60% of web users. Right. That doesn't take into account are you mobile or are you desktop, mm -hmm. right? And probably that's why you see Safari bump up in there because of iPhone users. So you'd have to go deeper to get the iOS breakdown. But um, the fact is, is that you are going to have the major player in in web browsers start to flag things if they're not secure right um you know so we've had a number of clients go through that migration process um and i guess things that you want to think about when going through that are um <clears throat> you know to kind of piggyback off another article is a really great one from search engine watch just um is it really worth it switching to HTTPS? I, I read this one. Uh, from Search Engine Watch. Uh, Jesse Moore wrote that this week. And, you know, to boil it all down, yes, it's really worth it. So let's just ignore the the, the issues that could come with it because the issues are, are making sure you migrate properly. Mm -hmm. And so um, you have to make sure that you have a proper SSL certificate. Um, and you can work with your hosting company on that. And SSL certificates are not expensive. I mean, on the upper end, I've seen like $50 a year, um, mm. that type of thing. Maybe it's $100 a year, but still, this yeah. is not, this isn't a huge dollar number. Um, the biggie for us as SEOs and, and if you're doing any digital marketing is setting up redirects. You can't just flip to an HTTPS and expect everything to be magic. That, that S added on to the end of it is enough to show Google, oh, hey, I'm a different, I'm a different page hmm. mm -hmm. or I'm a duplicate page. So, so before you make the switch, go through and document. So use Screaming Frog, use a Moz crawler, use any one of these tools that you can pull and document all the pages on your site and, and then make sure you're doing a one-to-one, -one, you know, mm -hmm. 301 permanent redirect. And maybe that's a good time to clean up your act on, on your site in general, too, if you have any 404 pages. Um, but you also want to take it a step further and make sure you're updating any, any of your internal links as well. Um, so just making the switch isn't going to automatically make that change. Um, Jesse made a good point. Maybe back to your statement about PDFs. Make sure all of your downloads and all of your images and all of those file structures also reference an HTTPS. So that PDF document, mm. that that link is also going to change and you need to make sure that, that mm. that's changing. Mm -hmm. um, so anything that you have out there, if you've baked those links into that PDF, you need to go and make a change, right? Um, your, quite frankly, your offsite links that you've 
generated. Is that a potential? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then making sure that you have everything uh, re-indexing through Google Search Console. So monitoring that, make sure that um, you're probably going to have to create a new property um, because you have a different URL. You can't just submit the old property and expect it to work. So there's going to be a little bit of legwork there. Mm. Um, so there's some there's some some definite things you have to think about. But the benefits will mm. far outweigh. That physical therapy side I'm working on right now, their payment gateways are all that they've switched over to HTTPS so mm. far. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For yep. sensitive information and... Payment so step one, yeah, you know, forms, payment gateways, things like that. Yeah. Uh, step two, the entire site. Yeah. Right. So, um, some good good things to to think about there. Uh, I have more just kind of a footnote, something that I thought was made into a big deal, and it shouldn't really be a big deal. I saw it on the Washington Post, which is interesting. <laughs> of all places, of all places. Uh, pro tip: you can read all your Washington Post pages without going through the their uh, payment gateway <laughs> by just reading in incognito mode. Um, <laughs> Great. So the article is how Google Home and the Amazon Echo give a new twist to the home phone. And this whole article, I saw it floating around in a couple other different places. Uh-huh. It got picked up in different places, how it's the rebirth of the home landline. It's, it's a new way to do it. And I just thought it was silly because it's just, there isn't anything being changed. It's not, it, the, the biggest takeaway from it was I could use my uh, my Google Home to make a phone call separate from my telephone. It acts separate from my phone. It's not associated to my mm-hmm. phone at all. But it's everything's already doing that. I can make a phone call from my iPad, from my laptop, from my uh, any kind of thing that's got an internet connection. I can make a telephone call from that free, essentially. Yeah. Uh, my opinion is it's actually going backwards because there's no screen on them. And the world is leaning towards doing... Um, mm. Like a FaceTime or, or uh, Facebook video chat or, or a Google Hangouts, those sort of things, Skyping. It's, it, I feel it's a backwards tick, and it shouldn't be um, made in such a big deal. No one wants a home line. Okay, okay, Comcast, I don't want your bundle. Yeah, yeah it's going to be interesting to see how things, the more and more they become integrated. I experienced it uh, two weeks ago, found a, a YouTube video, and... Um, so I have a Google Pixel, and I can cast it to my TV, um, but I don't have, I don't use, we don't have uh, um, Chromecast or anything like that, um, but since the TV is uh, A, a smart TV, B, we use Roku, um, I can send it to the hmm. YouTube app via Roku hmm. uh, without any question. It will completely interrupt anything we're watching on TV, much like we do here in our office with, yeah. with the Apple TV. Um, and it will force it and show up there on TV, and it'll pick up right where I was watching it on my phone. Hmm. So the more and more these things become integrated, I think that's where we have to watch. Hmm. You know what's going to happen, but yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. But anyways, yeah. Do you have one more? We've got yeah. time for a short one. Sure. I won't go too in depth with this one, but I did find a great <clears throat> uh, little. A summary, I guess you could say, on Content Marketing Institute's blog. Um, it was a summary of a talk by Marcus Sheridan, who um, saved his pool company in 2008 through content marketing. He just created loads of helpful content that, um, you know, was really 
useful for people looking for pool info. And swimming so, pools? Yeah, swimming mm-hmm. pools. So he ended up saving his, his business through this. And so now he's um, giving advice on market, content marketing. Um, so, uh, yeah, anyway, his, his blog was referred to as the Wikipedia of pools. So <laughs> he's just really done well for himself with that. So his advice, which is something that we talk about a lot here and I think needs to be um, integrated more and more in the business world is getting rid of the silos between departments and getting the whole company involved in content marketing. So That's last great. last week we had the discussion about you know where where should your SEO d- yes. team live in your in your company and this you know I guess this is the the take of you know where does content marketing live in your company? Well, hmm. maybe it should be you know it should be everywhere. Mm. Everybody should be involved. So the main points were just recognizing that salespeople are part of the content process. We we talk about, you know, um, getting getting in touch with your sales team and and having them relay their customers' questions and pain points and mm-hmm. all those sorts of, sorts of things, incorporating that into your content. Um, he even goes so far as to say that your marketing people should attend sales conferences and sales sales people should attend marketing conferences. I thought that that was kind of interesting. Um, Integrating your content into your sales processes. So he he actually would give his sale, his prospects homework if they would express interest in meeting and discussing. He would give them a resource, some content that was created that would be informative up front, would save his team time from having to explain things, mm-hmm. and then they can close the sales quicker. Hmm. Um, it's educating the clients in advance. Um, yeah, I, I think it's all great. I mean, that's yeah. all great. But I, I do think the the key takeaway there is um, who's in charge of content hmm. marketing, and I think having a point person is is great. You know, for us, it's it's Ashley. But um, at the same standpoint, get involvement from everyone. Yep. Your techs that are out in the field. If you're if if you're a pool company, it's your it's your uh, team that's on the ground and going and helping people. It's um, it's the sales team and frequently asked questions. It's the it's the marketing team who's maybe looking at more industry insights. I mean, it's it's the involvement of everyone, you know, right. and getting something together where that those ideas can be shared, but also holding people accountable to it as well. If you make a commitment to content marketing of any flavor and level, hold people accountable to it. If, if you are responsible for a topic or you're responsible for at least just even feeding ideas, you have to hold people accountable to it or it will fail. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just, I think, as black and white as it needs to be. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I think on that note, we are totally, right after we're done recording this, we are going to watch the latest uh, edition of Whiteboard Friday. Uh, Rand is, uh, it's, the topic is the perfect blog post length and publishing frequency is bullshit. (laughs) And I think that that is going to be exciting and I would encourage everyone to go ahead and watch that, uh, because that couldn't be, uh, more, more truthful. So, uh, there is no proper length. There is no, uh, you know, always convenient time, but having not watched it, Rand might share some insights in there too. So until next time, good luck and we will talk to you then. Thanks. This has been the Redirect Podcast. Check out the show notes at blacktruckmedia.com and add us on iTunes and Stitcher.